0: This is the first in an occasional series of podcasts coming to you from the Curious Arts Festival in partnership with our friends at the Curious Brewery. Our debut guest is Simon Evans, comedian, stand-up and a broadcaster extraordinaire. Simon, um, very well welcome. Nice to see you. Thank you, Paul. Very nice to be here. One of the things I want to talk about, you've played a huge role in setting up really the comedy arm of the Curious Arts Festival. Can you talk Mm -hmm. us through how you got started and what your introduction to Curious was? Well,
1: through my uh, wife, Kate Van Beek, who does the... uh uh, quite a lot of the PR for the festival, um, and uh, I think she was possibly approached. Uh, you know, a comedian, don't you? You're married to once, indeed. Could couldn't he do a, a comedy tent for us? It all began. I think the whole curious thing. Um, my sense was that it began with sort of enthusiasm um, rather than a a, um, a sort of cynical business plan, and uh, it it sort of emerged quite organically from people's contacts and. Uh, and availability and um and, and capacity for contributing and so kate came to me and said yeah should we do a, a comedy tent and i thought that sounded lovely and and the the environment itself down in pile world park is so beautiful the opportunity to spend a weekend down there you know and having some sort of purpose having some connection with it seemed um attractive so um, so we went from there
0: You've seen Curious develop over the three, four, five years now—five years indeed—that uh, it's been going. What do you think for those that haven't been? What would they? What can they expect? What do you see in Curious that makes it of value? Well, it grows a
1: little bit every year, um, and I think it is uh, part of the appeal is that it is quite organic and it's responding to what people want. But I suppose it's still fundamentally a literary festival, which is uh, lovely because it uh, actually creates a, a, a sort of space for people to think. Uh, whereas a lot of uh, festivals, I mean, f- the festival business has obviously ballooned in the last few years in the United Kingdom, but it's so overwhelmingly about you know loud noises coming out of huge speaker stacks. And there's something rather nice about being able to spend a weekend in a in a much more sort of meditative frame of mind. There's fun, of course, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of laughter, but there's but but it has a, a slightly less oppressive feel. It reminds me really almost of of the sort of Fates that you see in Midsummer Murders, just before somebody, uh, you know, is found slumped behind the cider crate. <laughs> but, uh, it it has a lovely old school, very very English um vibe to it, unapologetically English. It's in that you know, the 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 apron that that uh, descends from the back of the house down to the Solent is is just beautiful situation to find yourself in. And on the occasions which have been overwhelmingly the most common, when the weather has risen, um, to meet expectations, it's it's just been heavenly.
0: Indeed, has Anthony Horace be delighted to, to, to hear the reference to Midsummer Worders, of course. <laughs> there is a preponderance of bunting um, <laughs> at... At, uh, at, at Curious, which I find absolutely magnificent. And of course, they do describe themselves as a boutique festival. It is a boutique festival, mm. so it's not like one of the big corporate festivals. And as you say, the massive yeah. explosion... It's a shame
1: it has to use that French word to describe it. I don't, or, the, or sort of suggest to me slightly overpriced clothing boutique. Well, it's but on the it's south good. coast, it's quite close to France. I surely suppose surely it, is yes. permissible. it's
0: permissible. <laughs> you can almost see France I on the cloud. Well, the Isle of
1: White dialect <laughs> is the thing should be looking at, rather than that. but yes, it's a. Uh, it's it's a local festival for local people. No, it's not. No, that. it's not. It's That's not absolutely actually. not true. It's small and yet quite international, yeah. yeah it's, it's an interesting
0: combination. Small and international. It's a very good description. What do you look for for the comedians that you invite to it? I assume that you're the guy that puts the list together. You yeah. run the comedy tent, you're the comp of it, you're the host of it, you have yes. massive orders. In fact, you can tell when you're doing your bit because all the other tents are completely emptied <laughs> and there's six deep standing at the back. <laughs> We've, managed to We've
1: managed to attract some extraordinarily... Big names. I and mean, this I year see. we're very excited to have Al Murray, who is uh, absolutely A-list. Last couple of years we've had people like Ed Byrne and uh, The Noise Next Door who, who um, you know, quite often get four-figure sums to play big festivals or corporate events. And I think part of what we actually have to look at when we try and attract people to a tent that only holds a couple of hundred people is that they have to be the sort of people who will appreciate that you do something like this for the love of it, as much as anything else, you know, hopefully they can afford to find that that hole in their schedule. Great. Um, But from the audience's point of view, I think we always try and find somebody who um, is genuinely sort of warmly funny, rather than a lot of acts, especially, of course, you know, the British stand-up circuit tends to be focused on um, dark, uh, traditionally smoke-filled, sadly no longer, rooms um, late at night, low ceilings, a degree of licence to... uh, you know, eviscerate social norms or to demonstrate transgressive activities or attitudes. That kind of thing doesn't play quite so well at five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> with children <laughs> oh, no, Yes, exactly. You know. <laughs> so you're looking for something, not that it's tepid, not that it's tame, but it has to be something that's genuinely funny rather than just um, excitingly transgressive. So we've um, tended to go with people, you know, that um, I suppose are on the right wavelength with our audience, which is to say they're well-read, they're intelligent, they're they're not... They're not amused by childish antics. They want genuine wit and warmth and insight. And and I think we've so far, I think we've managed to match that.
0: Just you know something I don't know about you. How you got started in stand-up? For all that I do know about you, I know very little about, about yeah. your origin myth.
1: Well, it's it was a very long I mean, if you wanted to make a movie about the origin myth, <laughs> people would have to sit through an awful lot of rubbish. I I I was um thirty-one before I played my first gig, which is quite late in life. Not not unheard of. I think Frank Skinner started as late, but most people have realize that that's their calling sort of early 20s um I, I, I went to university intending to i studied law and i intended to become a criminal barrister i was well what i really intended to become was john mortimer really that was of the course. idea i didn't want to be a <laughs> barrister all good criminal i went barri- move barri- through <laughs> that out the other side <laughs> into uh, writing funny books about criminal barristers but
0: um, Rumpole Monkey,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, Rumpole 2.0, <laughs> but it didn't work out. And um, and then I spent quite a few years. I, I think I sort of lost the path. I, I think of my 20s as being like that thing, you know, when you have a sat nav that isn't up to date with the new road network <laughs> and it just has a sort of arrow floating in a field and it's it, it's confused. You know? Where do I go from <laughs> yes, here? Where are they? Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, selling advertising space, then traveling, and then I had a few odd um I, I came back from a year mainly uh, sort of almost hitchhiking really around around the world and d- determined never to have a proper job again but it took me three or four years to work out how that might work you know okay. um i had uh, a little bit of freelance journalism i sold artisan juggling balls which i made myself in a shed <laughs> Adam <laughs> uh, yeah i keep thinking i might get back to that one day and um sell them after gigs instead of cds and dvds <laughs> before <laughs> yeah i used to used to basically fill balloons with birdseed and um and 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 try and help people learn how to do it as well on the stall it was good fun you can juggle i can a little bit yeah not not to you know nobody would pay to see me but i can do it to my own it's quite a meditative practice mm. juggling it's quite enjoyable and once you get the muscle memory going there's something quite nice about being able to do something instinctively that actually took a long time to learn i find that, that with walking yeah <laughs> I think it's why well, my mum used to sit in front of the telly knitting, you know, and yes, I used to, well, yeah. why, are you you know, well, I have enough jumpers now, I have enough scarves. <laughs> I don't need any more socks, <laughs> thank you, mum. It Mal. just <laughs> comes out like the, like the porridge pot, you know. So, um, yeah, anyway, I mean, I, I did a few of those things and I was doing improv. I, w- I did improv because I was asked to by a newspaper. They wanted me to write a story about the improv craze. And so I signed up to a, um, a session, and I really enjoyed it. it so was, a session to learn or an open yeah, mic session? no, a session of improv with uh, it was uh, run by a team called Spontaneous Combustion. Some of them were um, there were five of them basically, and they performed in that in that group, or occasionally in sort of subsets, mm. and um, and then they 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 gave lessons. And most of the people who were learning were really doing it as a uh, a way of winding down on a, on a Wednesday night, you know, it was an alternative, or at least a preamble to drinking. Right. And um, they weren't int- intending to ever perform, but it was—it's really it's extraordinary discipline because there's a lot of tricks that you learn, or approaches. I suppose it's almost like a—it's almost like a religious indoctrination. You know, that the the law L O R E of improv is is quite deep and and held in w- with some degree of respect by performers. You know, the the, the not blocking uh, refusal uh, is is frowned upon you accept and build rather than them back back even though batting back will get a laugh it will it will sterilize the scene and so you have all these kind of approaches that you learn during improv that actually then start to bleed through into your real life if you certainly if you are um you know currently looking for something to kind of give you some direction, that happened to me and I became really obsessed with improv and I tried to get all my friends to sort of play improv games in car jet (laughs) (laughs) and I was a bit annoying about it, but from there anyway I met some stand-ups and they said well you know improv is great fun but stand-up is a a profession, is a career you can do, you know whereas improv really is a sort of um, there's probably maybe a dozen people in the whole country even to this day who can earn anything approaching a living actually performing it and um, apart from anything else you know there's always six of you on stage instead of you know one so you've got to split the money that way <laughs> that, that sort of eats away at it Right. and so I tried my hand at, at stand-up and um yeah six months later I was sort of earning a living
0: and what's that for those that don't know um how does how does the sort of stand-up circuit work I mean there are fewer and fewer sort of smoky basements and, yeah, and, pub, yeah. and rooms upstairs at pass I think I was really what's lucky I, think I in the it, UK right now?
1: well I think I caught it on a significant outwave I did my first gig in 96 and I think for the next five years, certainly, there were sort of new clubs being added almost every week around the country um, There was a, a good two or three pages about it in what was still then the hard copy of time Out, which came out every week there were um, there weren 't websites at that time, but there were um you know uh, networks of people who were enthusiastic about it and um and it was it was the coming thing and it became a really you know and i knew when we i left college in eighty six you know came to london we 'd go and see comedy quite a lot it was quite a yep. big you know it was a a significant part of the um, of the youth culture. Then um, I don't know to what extent it is now, but my, my because I've sort of moved off the circuit where you do twenty minutes and you know sure. there are three or four other acts. But my sense is that it's not quite as strong and as robust as it was because I think an awful lot of comedians now, like myself, to be fair, kind of regard touring as the end game, whereas you know the the, the comedy club itself was kind of the end game for an awful lot of comedians, one or two like Joe Brand or Jack Dee would we'll get a Channel 4 series and we'll sure. become a big deal. But most of us regarded as, you know, we make our living on the circuit. Whereas now the circuit like that is seen more as a bit more like the gym where you, you know, you, you practice your stuff and you get your act together and then you do a, an hour at Edinburgh and then off you go, Edinburgh has like 2,000 comedians now, you know. And I don't know that I mean, a lot absurd. of comedians work for
0: sort of six or eight months leading up to Edinburgh to, yeah. get, their, to get their routine right, to get their yeah. set right, to have an hour's worth of material, an yeah. hour's worth of performance. Where and that's their showcase that they then get gigs, yeah. they get booked by agents and yeah. and, and venues, and often New Zealand and Canada. To and go they will exactly.
1: They want to perform at the festivals, but they want to tour. You know, and I I think from the audience's point of view, if I'm absolutely honest, I think comedy clubs often offer better value for money. You know, than right. one than one act talking for an hour and a half. I, I I do it. You know, and I try and provide that value, but I can certainly see the argument that if you see five comedians doing their best twenty minutes, you know that's a that's a big, yeah, you know, no. sunsplash, yeah.
0: Absolutely, and a great night out. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But, uh, yeah, my sense is that... Uh, I'm sure it will continue to evolve up and down, but my sense is that it, I, I was lucky I hit it in like what would be rock music's 67 to 72 era, you know, that kind of moment where it's all really happened.
0: You're listening to the debut Curious Arts Festival podcast with our guest Simon Evans. Simon, listen... You have a very distinctive voice. You have a very distinctive manner. You're a brilliant professional. A lot of people, I would imagine, listening to this podcast will think, I've heard of him before somewhere. His voice sounds familiar. But, of <laughs> course, that means they're Radio 4 listeners and they've been hearing Simon Evans' goes to Market. For those that haven't heard it, what was Simon Evans' Go to Market? How did that come about?
1: Well, we've done four series of that. And and you're right, I do get recognised for my voice more than my face, which is, I suppose, quite um, an agreeable way to um, to... <laughs> achieve some sort of balance in life um i have um uh, been connected with radio four since before i did stand up i think i did my first packages for what was called the afternoon shift uh, Laurie taylor used mm. to present um between i think three and five on um, on radio four and there was a, a woman who alternated with it dara somebody i can't remember her name apologize but um yeah, I'd make kind of quirky, 10-minute-long packages about um, given topics, which we'd approach with a sort of bit of a comic angle. And um, so i I've, I've been in and out of Radio 4. I presented and wrote a show called The Way It Is, which was a sort of topical news parody show, a bit like the day-to-day or on the hour. And um, that was from sort of 98 to 2002. And as a result, I kind of always, you know, I, you kind of try and maintain your networking connections with producers and so on. You go to the Christmas light entertainment party and swan around looking as if everything's going well. And um, Is and it entertaining, the Christmas light entertainment well, party? Yeah, the first two or three hours are, are, are great in, the, um, in whatever premises Radio 4 is coughed up for. And then you will move to the Crown and Scepter traditionally or the auction <laughs> Grey. And then it all gets a bit messy, of course. But, uh, but I have met some amazing people through that. You know, I've shaken hands with Nicholas Parsons and. Barry Cryer, I got to meet John Lloyd, the, um, you know, QI producer and legendary mm-hmm. um, creator of the news, and, and all, all of that, all things, yeah, yep. yeah, all just met him in that pub there, and um, so it is a, it's a very, you know, it's, I feel, enormously, um, you know, privileged to have, have managed to sort of penetrate that milieu on that even ad hoc basis, but that was where I, I got chatting to a radio producer called Talusha Galani, who's at... Um, Sky TV now, but uh, she used then used to was... produce Just a Minute. Know, ah, right? she did, that's right. Have you done yes. Just a Minute, by the way? No, I didn't. I can tell you a story about that. I've, I've done it, done it three in times. It's terrifying. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I was supposed to be doing it. Um, one week I was booked, and then Nicholas Parsons had a... I can't remember his name. Um, Hannibal... Hannibal is a, a black American comedian. Burress? Oh. Hannibal Burress? Hannibal Burress, yeah. exactly. He was on. He. It was recorded at the Edinburgh Festival, and Hannibal was a big name at the Edinburgh Festival, so they he, they regarded him as a bit of a... A trophy to get him onto the show, uh-huh. but he had never heard it before, had no idea how it worked, and Nicholas, who was I think already then in his well into his late eighties at least, found the whole business so stressful that he refused to have any further newbies on for oh, the rest really? of the series. Yeah. Good lord. So, which you know is understandable. It's a little bit irritating, you know, when I'd had that in the diary, and I had been listening to it since the days of Derek Nimmo and Clement Freud. I would Absolutely. Would not have needed my hand holding at all. And but Kenneth there we are. Williams yes, and yes, all those. exactly. Is exactly. You know, but anyway. Oh, what a uh, thanks, shame. Hannibal. but, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, I, I do. Fully, he's a, he's a, obviously a legendary figure, and um, and, and I, I understood and gave way. And um, now I'm lurking in the shadows waiting to uh, host the thing, you see. Well, uh, you (laughs) and I both join the queue,
0: Simon (laughs) Evans. Right, quickly, come back to uh, Simon Evans Goes to Market. you met Alicia Ghilani. So I
1: met Talucia Galani and this was shortly after the financial crisis, sort of 2008, 2009, and she said, we were talking about, you know, the degree to which it had been exposed, apart from anything else, that most people had no idea how the economy works, how international markets work, they had no idea what kind of um the, uh, trades had been conducted you know the different the, the, the layers that did all sort of multi-dimensional nature you know horizontal slicing and collateral debt obligations and all the rest of it and i said well maybe you know through comedy might be a way to approach that and um, in reality by the time we actually got the program commissioned and then made the financial crisis had receded into the rearview mirror a little bit and so we sort of moved on a little bit and tried okay. to make it more generally about economics rather than understanding the crash but But, um, but that was how it began.
0: Did you have any any insights or any sort of thought about where you were taking there? That? Because that's quite a big thing. So maybe comedy is the way the prison yeah. through through which we well, can I'd look, at the and look at it. the I've been reading about
1: it. i been we my personally was in quite an unusual situation which was that my wife and I had sold our house in London and moved to Brighton but our purchase had fallen through and so we were renting with equity in the bank. Right. Exactly at the moment when the housing market just suddenly kind of spasmed and froze up imploded. Yeah. yeah. And I remember saying, you know, we had a 3-month-old baby and and a 3 3-year-old girl, daughter and um, who you've met of course at the festival <laughs> and um, and my wife was keen to own another house. You know, because right, yeah, renting yeah. is, you know, in particular. Expensive in Britain, and it's a waste of money. Well, it was sort was of it was that sense of being uh, slightly, un, you know, not quite certain of your of the stability of your ground, which in fact turned out to be the case. The place we were renting didn't belong to the man who was renting it to us. He'd That's already been nice foreclosed so. on by the bank, but had decided to rent it out to us anyway. So, I mean, that was absurdly stressful. But at the same time, I was reading this website called House Price Crash which had been anticipating a house price crash for about six years, you know, So eventually was right. But I did kind dying. of say, exactly, I was saying to, you know, what feels like a traumatic, a disastrous, catastrophic event to us could actually be the saving of us. We've basically wandered out of the house, you know, to have a fag.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: Or to go and get some milk from the shop. And on the way back, you kind of notice that the thing is on fire. <laughs> and you're saying you want to go back in. <laughs> anyway, you know, nevertheless. Nice
0: So so
1: we had that kind of, you know, and anyway, we did get back in. But um, but that was the point at which I sort of just started to delve into it. And I could just see the absurdity, the inherent absurdity of of the real estate market as you know, to use the American term or the um, also gold at that point was rocketing in value, despite having no intrinsic value It had gone from about $200 an ounce to about $1,100 an ounce, I think, in the space of about four years. And and that was obviously as a as a, as a hedge against. It sort of you know, demands the question: Why? Why? Well, you know, because it, you can't it, just it's about a hedge against fiat rent, currency. Film. But it's you know, and, and then of course, when the crash came, the price went out of everything. Quite. And that was the point at which even you know everyone struggles to understand money doesn't. It doesn't go from one place to another place. It doesn't. You know, people don't sell their gold, take their money, and then buy, have to buy something else. Quite. They just collapse their debt. Yes, they just stop having and that money just goes it just disappears it no longer exists mm. and this was the thing that i think very few people i mean henry ford famously said in the 1920s if people understood how money was made how much mon- actual money supply where it came from there would be a revolution before breakfast mm. it's just it's just created as debt by banks quite and and i just think most people still don't quite grasp that you know so it was it was like getting that seems to me like that's a kind of Classic raw material for comedy—that something as absurd as that is how we're all behaving. You know, you,
0: Simon, I hear you say those words, and I know that you understand. I, mean, I used to work in the city when I was very, very, very young, and I still don't quite, even though I hear yes. you say the words. But very simply, it's a very simple concept. Yeah, I still don't quite grasp it intellectually. <laughs> I know the what full you mean. <laughs> know. of what that actually
1: means. I know, and this is where people. I mean, at the moment, of course, it's ridiculously unstable, and uh, you know, but blockchain, Bitcoin, and so on. Yes, exactly. You know, which is the first. Threat, the first cryptocurrency challenge, cryptocurrency, the first genuine challenge to fiat currency that's ever happened. Quite. Apart from being obviously for those who got in at the right moment, and I'm sure you, as like me, kick yourself daily for absolutely. You know, I was aware exactly. of it, you know, when it was 10 quid a coin, and I was thinking, Oh,
0: yeah, it just looked incredibly risky, and it didn't have a thing. There wasn't a there thing. Was no, this is no yeah. gold, there's this, no coin, exactly. there's, there's no nothing. No nothing. Exactly. It's I just ones and noughts it. in a server somewhere in Idaho. Go, oh
1: my god, 2,000. Oh, I wish I'd missed 3, oh, I've missed out. 3,000. I've missed out. Oh, 5,000. Oh, I've missed out <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know but anyway
0: and then you see it crash back to 2000 you think well actually yeah. maybe I've not missed out as much as I thought
1: I think it's I think it still has a, a story ahead of it I, there was a point over christmas where I thought that's it it's the classic you know bubble you know you you overlay that you know you've probably seen the classic bubble and then the bear trap and then the and yep. then the precipitous decline but it hasn't actually collapsed. It's still there. And I think, actually, it still has a, a story to tell. But we'll see.
0: Well, I remember meeting last year a fantastic author, funny enough, at the Curious Arts Festival, who'd just come back from a massive conference in Cyprus or somewhere where all the great big thinking heads working on cryptocurrencies have just been trying to figure out what the future is, what the right. legality is, yeah. how they make them, because the legality is a massive issue in it. And she was explaining to me that actually it's a brilliant thing to invest in, but wouldn't answer to me, but what does it make? It doesn't make it. it you invest it in a company because it makes something, it makes profit. But
1: all you're all you're investing in, I think, ultimately at this point, is the probability that at some point it will genuinely become an alternative reserve currency for the world. And if it were to do that, given that we know what the upper limit is of Bitcoin, how many will ultimately be made, because each new Bitcoin demands ever more reserves of power to run the of course. the mining equipment the uh, you know the uh, the computer power that creates it then you can from that expand and say well for instance if it were to replace gold mm-hmm. as as the world's store of value to which to retreat in you know if we lost faith in the dollar how many how much would it then be worth once the full you know all those bitcoins well, yes, which okay. will ever be made are there you can calculate from that, and on that basis it still has a long way to go. So if you if you believe that it's going there and it, there is no reason why it shouldn't replace gold at the very least. In fact, I, I kind of think it will. It's just a question of how long.
0: Possibly not in our lifetimes. Possibly
1: sir. not, but it, then again it could all happen in the space of a, of 12 months. Good. I mean, it's had a lot of obviously it's connected to some extent with, you know, Chinese and Korean money laundering activities and and genuine criminal right. behavior, but at the same time I think I think uh, Wall Street exchanges are um, introducing...
0: Uh, Money laundering.
1: Well, they're, they're introducing uh, routes to market, basically. For oh, it I now. see. You're, yes. so, oh, for th- cryptocurrencies. Yeah, yes, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so it's right. it, just at the point where you thought, no, that's it, it's gone. They're actually going, okay, now we'll make some... They're you now the, the opportunity, yeah, of course, with... Some with... instruments through which you can get hold of it, you know, more. Because until then, it becomes... If it's just people in basements, you know, on computers, then it... It doesn't quite have the uh, and the slight fear is
0: that but for one power cut the whole thing can yes. just disappear, and there <laughs> yes. goes all your wealth.
1: <laughs> well, that is another interesting thing, isn't it? But I mean, the, I mean, the, I read a piece the other day, and I'm sure these pieces could have been written, you know, any day for the last god knows how many decades. But the the vulnerability of the American power networks to yes. you know, to an outage, to a yes. shock, you know, <laughs> is terrifying. I don't. I mean, people talk endlessly with, with you know. Could Pyongyang hit Seattle or could it hit San Francisco or what could it hit? Actually, all it needs to do is create enough of a nuclear shock to put the power out.
0: Yes, and, that, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, it's over. America's yeah. done. It's, no it, power, people, no water, Americans no life. America will no kill matter. each other on the street. You don't, you don't need exactly. to do anything else. And not, yes, so, I mean just that would work for at it just At that point, anywhere.
1: Bitcoin. I don't know whether that you know yeah whether whether Bitcoin then comes in or whether it.
0: Okay. Well, as as this is the, the curious podcast, I'm curious. Yes. Have <laughs> you got any bitcoins? No.
1: I, d- I backed it on a, a a sort of an index, a tracker. you know, so a tracker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I haven't never owned actual. I don't have a it partly because my good friend dominic frisbee who uh, was an early sort of uh proselytizer of it and wrote a great book um two two books about it um well connected but he had some and then they were stolen from him. And oh. he if he if he still had them now he'd be a multi millionaire right. and um and he is you know, and he has not gone back in as a result, you know. Right. He basically does feel that it is still it's kind of vulnerable, that's the thing. You see if someone
0: nicks your wallet in the real world, you can go to the police. Yes and the If exactly. someone yeah. nicks your 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 virtual wallet with your virtual cryptocurrency, yeah, yeah. there is no recourse. No. It's well, the wild west.
1: It is a bit still, exactly. Although of course it's still rare, you know, so
0: quite yeah. let's come back to the festival for the last couple of minutes or so mm. well I always look forward
1: mostly just to random conversations really that's what I've always found the most wonderful thing about it I mean from, from the point of view of my responsibility I am looking forward to putting on a great uh, lineup of comedy of course and it's always great to see people responding very happily to that But you mentioned um, Al
0: Murray earlier on, can yeah. you give us any other sneak previews of who, oh. you're, who you're hoping for or who you're getting
1: God I can't even remember who's coming to be honest sorry to put got you on a, the yeah, spot sorry, have we got a list <laughs> ok let's have a look um of the Well, of those people who are there, Milo McCabe, who I had known for a while but hadn't seen until quite recently, he came and did a, gig, a charity gig that was put on at my daughter's school and he was amazing and they will love him. He plays a character that's a little bit in the sort of Terry Thomas mould or a oh, sort right. of Leslie Thomas kind of... Yeah. Is it? Ding dong. Yes, exactly, you know. He is he's very tall and dashing and handsome in real life, so all he has to do is sort of draw on a moustache on with, with an eyebrow pencil. <laughs> and uh, he, But he, he improvises in character, very much like El Murray, really, and he was terrific. And then Joe Neary is my wife's absolute favourite. Uh, she, she performs a sort of series of... She's like a Joyce Grenfell sort of character. She performs okay. in character a series of little skits and sketches and imagines sort of outcomes, does a little bit of singing, does some of that kind of one-sided conversation thing, you know. George, uh, don't Yes, you exactly, ask. yes. So she is brilliant. Those two are wonderful. But for me personally, it's about, I mean, the, you know, you go and see, like, some author you greatly admire or or sometimes historians, real, you know, heavyweight academics. And they speak for an hour and it's fascinating. And then 10 minutes later, you find yourself standing next to them at the burger stand, you know, exactly. and you just kind of go, Can I just ask? Is it-? they go, well, it's Professor Grace, yes. yes. Exactly. What is the meaning of life? <laughs> and, and I've just had some amazing conversations there and interactions, and I love that, you know. And then, you know, I, as I say, hopefully, if the sun comes out, I remember um, a story that I've told several people to encourage them to come. It was a couple of years ago. It was a sunny day. I just brought the first act on at the, in the comedy tent. And um, and I decamped to the nearest bar tent just As one while they were on and just standing there with my lager, glorious sunshine, staring down at the solent. And David Gilmour, a Pink Floyd guitarist, just sort of wandered past and sort of nodded at a sort of yep. uh, friendly greeting, hello to me, and, and and ambled off. And I think it was. Perhaps the first time in my life, I genuinely pinched myself. I thought, <laughs> is this real? I am real? going to actually wake up in a tepid bath in in King's Cross, and it's two thousand and two, and I haven't got the rent. But no, it was real, and uh, that's kind of how that's how how it is. That's the, the little magical touches of it.
0: What are you most looking forward to this year?
1: Well, I, you know, I do find that it's the social element. It's the the gaps between you know the events that is is. Uh, Find so enticing, and um, there's nothing quite like enjoying, you know, a decent ale, is there, in English sunshine in the middle of the summer?
0: It's such a lovely venue to do it, too. When you're sitting on someone's lawn, you've got beautiful sunshine, you're looking out over the solar, and there's that wonderful, that lovely tang of yeast
1: yes, (laughs) yeast and alcohol
0: that somehow just makes England seem to come alive. One of the things that is
1: genuinely great about Curious is that it's, it's curated, excellent, locally sourced beers and uh, i think the, the, we have one of our own this year is that right uh, well yeah. I've,
0: I've heard rumors that there is actually going to be a curious ale uh, designed and brewed well, by this, this the fa- but it has that kind of artisan buzz which completely justifies
1: yeah. you know you, f- you feel you're you're putting something back into the community even Absolutely. as you're even as you're getting gently lathered but it, i mean that is a, a significant improvement on a lot the, the experience of an awful lot of f- festivals is queuing up for Half an hour to get a warm can of Red Stripe, you know, and it it, it actually does take the shine off things quite a bit, I think. So uh, that's a a definite plus about the whole thing.
0: After all the stuff I present and chair and host and so on, across the course of the day, one of the greatest pleasures sitting at standing actually, because I never get a chance to sit at the back of the comedy tent watching you do your thing as you introduce acts on and off and do your own routines with a good. With a good beer.
1: Yeah, And absolutely. the sun on the
0: back of my neck. You think, actually, yeah. all's all well with the world. It really is that. And I think we've all learned
1: that this year, haven't we? Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, <laughs> let's hope for more of it this year. Fantastic. Where can people catch you? Uh, where can people find Simon Evans over the next few weeks or two, either, I am, either live or on the, I am actually touring
1: at the moment. So my current show is called Genius, which is uh, an exploration of um, where it's all gone, because I feel that we are not... Being served by the brightest and the best in public life at the moment. Do so I, you not? I, I have this, this nagging feeling. It's not so much about it's not a politically uh, slanted thing. It's, I don't care which political persuasion you're of. I don't think you can feel that your views are being represented at the By any by, of them. At the peak. Yes. Whether the top or the bottom. So I want to know what's happening to intelligence. In, and maybe this, you know, Curious might be a good place to find out. But Curious well, um, is a
0: good start for intelligence, yes, that's
1: Well, it is actually. Uh, that's one of the things that comes up, yeah. But, um, yeah, that's on tour. So if you just Google my name, Simon Evans and Genius, you'll find out if it's playing anywhere near you. And um, failing that, uh, yes, do come to the Curious Festival. I think I'm at Latitude the week before, which is another great festival. Um, And uh, there are um, one or two uh, sort of random other events. I'm off to South Africa next weekend, which will be very interesting. For work? Yes, three dates with Reginald D. Hunter. Reg. Yeah, so um, those yeah will be, we'll be staging. That will be fun. Where are you?
0: Durban, Cape Town, Johannesburg. That's right, yes. All three. That's
1: right, all three, exactly, yes. Excellent. Hit quite, it hard, quite get a bit out. Of tabling, yes.
0: <laughs> we'll have a lovely time in South Africa. We look forward to seeing you, Simon, at the Curious Arts Festival, which is held this year between the 20th and the 22nd of July. Go to CuriousArtsFestival.com for more information and for the full list of who's going to be appearing this year although it's still fairly flexible according to Simon Evans this has been the Curious Arts Festival podcast this has in fact been the debut the the start of it all the Curious Arts Festival podcast will come to you over the successive weeks and months it's sponsored by the Curious Brewery and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here on it, Simon Evans thank you very much indeed thank you